chapter in Colossians 3, it uh, begins a section in Colossians that's heavy on personal application. Chapters 1 and 2 spend a lot of time on doctrinal truth, and now chapters 3 and 4 tell us how to apply that truth into, into our lives, which, by the way, if Bible truth cannot be applied, if it's not practical, then uh, it's, it not, doesn't really do us any good, uh, practically speaking. And that's always my goal, to take Bible knowledge and apply it to our daily lives and uh, to connect it with where we are. And today's uh, or tonight's passage that we're going to read tells us, as a believer in Christ, uh, how you should treat sin in your life. And so we're going to break that down. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start verse number 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concoots. I said this word over and over before I came in front of you, okay? Um, Concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time, when you lived in them, but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is cre- renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. I want to preach tonight on off with the old for a few minutes, off with the old. Father, I pray you'd help us. You bless the reading of your word and use it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most precious truths in the Bible is that we are saved by grace, not by works. That's a good thing because we don't have enough works to where we could do ourselves any good. You're not saved because of any good that you have done, but simple faith in Jesus Christ, that's how we receive salvation. It's a beautiful truth. It's the heart of the gospel that it is uh, spelled D-O-N-E, not D-O, and yet uh, it's a truth that can be misused and abused. Perhaps the worst abuse of grace is that if we conclude in our lives that because salvation is by grace, because of not anything that we do, uh, then we can live however we want to live because God's going to forgive us anyway. That is abusing the grace of God. Now, we needn't worry about our sin as far as the uh, condemnation on us, but we do need to worry about our sin as far as its effects and consequences in our lives. And so God's grace uh, should not be abused by us just thinking we can do whatever we want to do. Yes, we're saved by grace, but we don't understand grace properly if we think it's okay to keep on living as if nothing has changed at salvation. Because the Bible says that We are made a new creature when we come to Christ, and we ought to live that way. We have died with Christ. We have been raised with Christ, as pictured in baptism. Now we must live out these truths as believers. And that's what Paul addresses here in this text that we read. His basic message is this. You've received new life in Christ, and now get rid of those old sinful things that were a part of your old life, And Paul begins with the command telling us to get rid of the sinful things in our lives. Then he gives us specific examples of what to get rid of. And then he gives us four reasons why we should get rid of them. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, The what to do with them, what things to get rid of, 
and why we should get rid of them. Through it all, he has this general theme, off with the old, on with the new. You've been given new life in Christ, and we ought to live that way. So, number one, uh, let's look at he get, getting rid of sinful things in our life. Uh, this is the command about sinful things. He uses two metaphors here uh, to describe getting rid of sin. Uh, the first thing he talks about is putting them to death. Look at verse number five. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Which are upon the earth refers to the sinful practices and the tendencies that reside in our body. It's not that matter is evil. This is what the false teachers were teaching, that matter itself is evil, making our bodies evil. Uh, everything is evil that we see. That was the, their false teaching. Uh, our bodies are not evil, however, they are corrupted by sin. And Paul has gone to great lengths to dispel the dualism of the false teachers. But now he reminds the Colossians, we still do have a sinful nature to deal with that operates in our flesh. The human body is not simple in and of itself, but it is very susceptible to sin. And so God says, mortify or literally put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, put to death, that sounds a little extreme, doesn't it? Uh, think of, do you remember when Jesus said that if your eye offends thee, pluck it out? If your, uh, or your hand or your foot offends thee, cut it off? Sin is extreme. And so when we deal with sin... Uh, we understand that extreme situations require extreme solutions. Sin defies God, it defiles the person, and it destroys relationships. And I think that when we look at what God's saying here and when Jesus was talking about that extreme reaction, one of the reasons we uh, kind of balk at that is we don't realize just how harmful and destructive sin is. The proper response to sin is not to treat it casually, but to kill it. You don't trick it, you don't train it, you don't tame it, you terminate it. That's what he has for us here. You don't put it aside in a drawer, you put it to death. Extreme problems require extreme solutions. Once again, this relates back to the new life that we received in Christ. The verse 5 where it says mortify there or put to death goes back to verse 3 that says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So you died, now mortify your flesh and your sinful nature there. You died with Christ, but we still have to fight that daily battle with our flesh that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. That's the difference between God's role and our role in all this. God's role is that you died with Christ. He saves us. Our role is now to put these things to death in our life. And it really can be tied in what we talked about this morning connected to our appetites. What we allow our appetites to be by what we expose ourselves to. We read in Romans 8, 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Uh, we could apply that again to what we were talking about this morning, uh, creating the right appetites in our life. John Owen was a pastor in the 1600s, uh, and he said this, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. It's a real simple statement, but it's a lot of truth in that. We are to be merciful with sinners, but we are to be ruthless with sin. And uh, knowing the difference there is important. Sin is under a death sentence, and we are to take part in its execution. Paul says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then the second metaphor he uses is to remove them like clothing. Uh, this is the image he gives us in verse 8 and 9. But now ye also put off all these, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. 
The but now at the beginning of verse 8 indicates that something has changed. You are a new creation in Christ now. All things have become new, so you rid yourself of these old things. The word translated put off is used again in verse 9. In fact, it's used several times in Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says, putting off the body of sins of the flesh. That's the same original word. We see it again in verse 15 of chapter 2, when Christ spoiled, same word, principalities and powers. The common idea in these verses is that we remove something like we remove clothing. Since you have already taken off your old self, the old man, who you were before Christ, now you must also take off the sinful practices that accompanied your old life. The old self was removed when Christ came, uh, when you came to Him in, in repentance and faith. Now uh, we learn that repentance is ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. I remember when I was saved, I seriously thought, I'd never get in trouble again. Life would be, I would be good from that point on. I mean, I repented of all my evil ways that uh, you can have at age 10. And, uh, and I was going to be good from then on. Never get in trouble again. But then I learned repentance is an ongoing thing. We continue to repent. Uh, we continue to first, we practice first John 1 9 in our life, uh, confessing our sins to him. So as a believer in Christ, what do you do with the sinful things in your life? God says, get rid of them. Put them to death. Remove them like an old piece of clothing. Then he gives us some examples of what we should get rid of. I like that, that he gives examples. And that's what we're going to do this evening. We're going to name some sins. Now, it's been said before, if you want to be a popular preacher, preach against sin. If you want to be extremely unpopular, preach against sins. That little S makes a big difference. When you start naming things, uh, that's when uh, people can get a little bit bent out of shape. But... If the Bible names them, we can name them. Amen? Uh, the Bible names specific sins, and we ought to name them as well. Paul gives us ten examples of specific sins in two lists of five each. And uh, the first list emphasizes sexual sins. The second list emphasizes relational sins. And then he also adds to the second list the sin of lying, uh, which is a special sin against the body of Christ. And we'll look at that in a minute. But the first list appears in verse 5. We'll look at it again. Uh, we'll read it here. The, by the way, the old man watches for every opportunity to seize control of our actions. and to uh, it, It's the body that it once owned, all right? And it wants control again. That's why we constantly have to battle. He's like a sleeping vampire in a horror movie. Uh, he, he lies there in his grave waiting for a chance to seize us and satisfy his sinful appetites. I read a story about a guy who was walking home very late one night. It was pitch black dark, and he decided to take a shortcut through a graveyard that was close to his house. But he didn't realize that they had dug a grave earlier that day, and so he fell in it. And so he was trying to kind of claw his way up. He was jumping toward the top, trying to get out. Uh, he did not know that another man had suffered the same fate about an hour before and was sitting in the corner of the grave. He didn't realize he was there. And so our hero is there trying to jump out, and he hears a voice saying, you can jump all you want to, but you're not going to jump out of here. Uh, he jumped out of there, as many of us would if we hear a voice in the corner of a grave. We have to flee our old man just like that. We have to drive a stake of the cross of Christ through his diabolic heart. We must deny him access to our members. We have to reckon him dead. 
or we're going to be overcome with that. We're going to be overcome with those uh, physical and harmful appetites. Now, let's read the list. Verse number five. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence. I'm going to have real trouble with that word. And covetousness. Now, the word translated fornication in this verse is a general word for any sexual activity outside of marriage. This would include premarital or extramarital sex. It would include uh, homosexual relations or anything else that uh, the world is so fond of and accepting today. Even pornography and lust of the mind and all those things are involved here. And Paul says, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we must put those things to death. Now, the word translated uncleanness is a general word for uncleanness in a moral sense. It reminds us that any sexual activity outside of marriage is unclean in God's sight. Uh, while within marriage, it is holy and sanctified. But outside of marriage, it is unclean and defiles the people that are involved. And then he says inordinate affections. This is a, the passion and desire that drives these activities. It specifically uh, has a connotation of desires that go against nature. In fact, the same original word is used in Romans 1.26 where it says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, and for even their women did change a natural uh, use into that which is against nature. And so this is the idea here of, of a perverted type of uh, uh, against our natural uses uh, a kind of affection. And then evil concupiscence refers to the wrong desires that leads to wrong actions. Uh, it is not simply desires, uh, because desires aren't necessarily bad, but the context here is that it would be evil desires. And covetousness, then, refers to, to the desire to have more than what is rightfully yours. Covetousness is a very broad term. It covers many areas. It can be a desire for more money, more things. It can be a desire for more power or more fame. Anything we can be covetous for. Uh, by the way, Covetousness is a sin, and we don't often think about it as sin. In fact, one person called it a sin nobody admits to. It's, uh, it's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, uh, commandment number ten, uh, but it's one that we rarely admit to, but we many of us struggle with. But in context here, covetousness is a desire to have something more sexually than is rightfully yours. That's why the Tenth Commandment says, Thou shalt not covet. And it is specifically includes in Exodus 20, 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Notice that covetousness also is connected here with idolatry. In verse 5, it says, And covetousness, which is idolatry. It's interesting. Covetousness is desiring what is not lawfully yours. It means you're not content with what God has given you. You're not content with what you have. It means that you're seeking uh, what you desire instead of what God desires. And isn't that what idolatry is? It's wanting more than what God gives you. It's setting your hearts and minds on earthly things rather than on things above. And so it's interesting that, that that's why the Bible connects uh, immorality and covetousness with idolatry. We read this in Romans 1.24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Now, sexual sin is an example of worshipping and serving created things rather than the Creator, and that, again, is the very definition of idolatry. 
So if you're a Christian and living together before marriage, what are you doing? You're not doing what God wants us to do. You're putting something before God. It is an idol. And God says, put it to death. If you're a Christian cheating on your spouse emotionally, physically, even in your mind, it's an idol. We are to get rid of it. Uh, if you're a Christian and you're viewing pornography, don't try and manage that sin. The Bible says put it to death. Get rid of it. And we're to mortify that. That's what Paul's telling us to do. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And we ought to be very, again, we deal harshly with sin. Love the sinner, abhor the sin. And we need to abhor the sin in ourselves too. By the way, it's very easy to hate sin in other people. It's harder to hate sin in ourselves. And it's in ourselves where we need to be uh, most uh, watchful for that. So that was the sexual sins. The second list he gives us is relational sins. Uh, it means th these are the sins that... All right, we can... There's nobody here but us tonight, so we can be honest. These aren't so bad. But the first list, oh yeah, we'd all agree with that. Everybody's on board with those... But the second set, they're not so bad. Relational sins, we can, we can allow ourselves a little bit of this. Uh, it's like when somebody gossips against us, it's a horrible, awful sin. But when we gossip about them, yeah, we're just talking. We're just uh, sharing a prayer request, you know. Because when we are involved in relational sins, we're often very forgiving of our own actions. We don't see them as sin. Everybody does them. So are they really sin? God says, yes, they are. And sin is sin. And we have to get rid of of all of it. What, what the list is here, this is found in verse, uh, let's see, um, verse 8. Verse 8 is where this list is at. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. What are uh, each of these sins? Let's, let's break them down. Anger and wrath are similar, but the word anger here is a more uh, settled attitude of anger. Now, it's interesting, actually, the same word, the original word, is used in John 3, 36, where it says, He that believeth on the Son hath life, everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Same word that's used for anger here. But we must remember, God has a right to judge. He's holy. He's perfect. He is sinless. He is absolutely holy, and he has a right to judge. We do not, we're not qualified to be judgment and have anger on others. So, uh, let's uh, stay in our lane. And then wrath refers to more here to sudden outbursts. The literal meaning of the word is boiling over. Malice is the intention to hurt another person. It is an attitude of ill will that wishes or does harm to or on another. Uh, malice is glad when the other person is hurting. Malice hates to see the other person do well. It's the very opposite of Romans 12, 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Now, blasphemy is the next one. Here it means slander, speech that brings injury to another person's reputation. We are not to slander one another. And then filthy communication. This can refer either to dirty speech or abusive language. The two are often combined, especially when you're angry, slandering, or full of malice. These... Uh, the, this, this, this list here, they're, they're very interconnected. And it's very likely that if you have one, you'll have the others also. Kind of like the fruits of the uh, fruit of the Spirit. You're not picking and choosing. You want to increase in all of them, and sin is the same way. Then Paul adds lying to the list. Uh, look what it says in verse number uh, 
uh, 9, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. This is another major sin of speech that Paul singles out as particularly bad for the body of Christ. These are all relational sins. They do a tremendous damage to relationships. They disrupt unity. And so God says, get rid of them, mortify them, kill them. Uh, don't wear them anymore. Remove them like an old piece of clothing. We find a similar instruction in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but to that, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We might say it's only words. What do words matter? Your words are very important. In fact, this is how important they are. This is a convicting verse found in Matthew 12, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. I want you to stop and think of that verse. How many times have we just flew off the top of our minds and said things we shouldn't say? Every idle word, we're going to answer for it. By the way, I'm going to read it a different way. And I think it applies. It's, it's the Yoder translation, all right? But I think it applies. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall type, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Because I think it applies to social media too, I believe. Every idle word. Is there any more idle words than what we put on social media? And I think we're accountable to it. And we need to be understand that one day we'll answer for those things. They're not just words. They mean something and they're important. So Paul gives us two lists of sexual sins and relational sins, and he gives us very specific, uh, uh, he gets specific about them and names them, and he tells us to put these things to death and remove them like an old set of clothing. And then finally, four reasons why we should get rid of these things. He gives us four different reasons. Look at verse number six. This is the first reason, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So, the first reason is because God's wrath is coming because of these things. He's, he, he has a righteous anger against sin. God is holy. He does not tolerate sin. This verse speaks of God's coming judgment against sin. Now, as God's children, we need not fear God's wrath on our sin because neither is there condemnation uh, if we come to Christ. However, we should not participate in those things which will provoke His wrath. That makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, uh, 5, For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, which is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Why should we get rid of these things in our life? God's wrath is coming because of these things. Why then would we want to participate in them? By the way, just because our sins have been taken care of, I really believe we sometimes get it backwards uh, why God wants sin out of our life because sin will keep you from doing what you need to do. The thou shalt nots are in the Bible so that we can do the thou shalts in the Bible. Uh, sin will keep, more than anything else, sin will keep you from doing what God wants you to do. If you are in sin, you won't be a witness like you should be. You won't be in your Bible like you should be. As my first pastor told me, he gave me a Bible one time and he wrote in the front of the Bible, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. You really aren't in it simultaneously. Uh, people that are in sin are not typically in the 
Bible like they should be and vice versa. Number two uh, reason that we should get rid of these things, these things belong to your old way of life. Look at verse 7. In the which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. You already lived this way, Paul says, before Christ. And when you come to Christ, we come asking for forgiveness for these and deliverance from these things. In other words, we should know better. You already tried sin and it didn't deliver. Why would you go back to it? It's like the <clears throat> if a slave is released, why would he go back to his old master? He wouldn't. And so that's what he's saying here. You already said goodbye to your old life. Why would you welcome it back? Romans 6, 21. What fruit then had you in these things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. Being now made free from sin and become servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and to everlasting life. Why then would we go back to the life we had before? So that's the second reason. Get rid of it, Paul said. Put it to death. Take it off like an old piece of clothing because those things belong to your old way of life. Number three uh, reason, God is making you into someone new. Look at verses 9 and 10. Uh, Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Once again, Paul is using the clothing uh, imagery here uh, to put off and to put on. He says you've put, taken off your old self and your practices, and you've put on the new self. You've already changed clothes, so to speak. Why put your old self on again? You don't put new clothing over old, and you don't put old clothing over new. You take off the old, and you replace it with new. Suppose you were... I, the very first job I had was working with a hog farmer. And I learned a lot. The main thing that I learned was that I would never want to be a hog farmer. That was the main lesson I learned. But uh, I... We had a ritual when we'd come in. I used to stay with him for a couple of days at a time, and we would come into the house, and, and his wife had pretty stringent uh, ritual down for us to decontaminate ourselves before we come into the house. And we would take off our, our coveralls and the filthy. But imagine you were uh, working with hogs, and, and, and in the middle of the day, you're going to have to go to a wedding. You wouldn't put your wedding clothes over your dirty chore clothes, would you? And when you're done with the wedding, you wouldn't come back and just put your old dirty chore clothes over on top of your wedding clothes then. No, you would take them off and put them on. And God is making us into something new. And that's what verse 10 is saying. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Notice the importance of knowledge in this verse. There's no spiritual growth without the knowledge of God. Where do we get this knowledge? We get it right here from the word of God. As you grow in the knowledge of God through his word, uh, you are being renewed in the image of God. We learned earlier in Colossians that Jesus is the perfect image of God, Colossians 1.15, so we're actually becoming more and more like Jesus. And uh, that's so important. So the, the three reasons, God's wrath is coming, those things belong to your old way of life, God is making you into something new, and then the fourth reason, in Christ all man-made barriers have been removed. Racial, Religious, cultural, and social. Let's look at them real quickly. Look at verse 7. Where there was neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, or free, but Christ is all and in all. God not only wants holiness in your new life, He wants harmony. Getting rid of the sexual sins that He listed, those 
connected to that. That is, uh, is uh, all about holiness. Getting rid of the interpersonal sins he's talking about, the relational sins, that is all about harmony. Holiness and harmony are very important in a local church. We need both. We need people trying to do right, and we need people to work together uh, so that Pastor Forsberg's daughter doesn't have to sing about division anymore. Amen? That's, that's uh, our goal there. <clears throat> but harmony is important. And you may feel, if you feel that you're better than everyone else, uh, that's not good for harmony. The new self in Christ is for the transformation of the individual. That's uh, for each inside of each of us. And then our relationship with each other is how it's manifested. It's just It's not just about putting away sinful habits, but also man-made barriers that divide us. These man-made barriers are just human distinctions. It's not how God views us in Christ. <clears throat> God doesn't see people by the color of their skin or their social scale. He's, he's, uh, he takes all that away, even in the text we just read. So Paul names some of these man-made barriers. Let's look at them. He names four of them. Racial. He says there's neither Greek nor Jew. That refers to racial barriers. We're all one human race. We should not discriminate against anyone on the basis of race. We all understand that. And then also religious uh, barriers. Paul says there is no circumcision nor uncircumcision. That refers to religious barriers within Christianity, by the way. That does not mean all the religions of the world are, are uh, valid. Jesus is the only way to God. We're not talking about that. He's talking about within Christianity. Uh, we should not cause divisions in the body of Christ over religious traditions or preferences. And so we need to remove those barriers. And then there's cultural. Paul mentions the barbarian and the Scythian. These are cultural barriers. Barbarian is what the Greeks called anyone who was not Greek. The Scythians, now Russia and Siberia, they were viewed as the lowest and the worst barbarians of them all. But there's no room for the Christian to look down our noses at anyone. Uh, James talks about this, how we see people differently as they walk through the doors of our church. Someone who's dressed, he uses the word gaily, but we would say a nice suit or looking sharp or expensive clothing. Uh, we treat better than those that look like they just hauled in out of a dumpster, you know. But God sees everybody, he doesn't see those social barriers, and we ought to be careful in our uh, way we do it as well. Uh, and then that gives us the last, social. Paul says there's no bond nor free. This is talking about social barriers. Things like social or economic status. Often we call them class divisions today. Paul says that in Christ these barriers have been removed. There is no, they don't have any bearing or relevance in your new life in Christ. And this is the most natural thing in the world for us to put social barriers up in our society. But we ought not do so. Did you know that a poor person can please God just as good as a rich person can? Uh, there's, no, there's no barriers like this that God has. And he, he finishes it by saying Christ is all and in all. Christ is all means that Christ is all that matters. And uh, he is in each of us as believers, so how can you discriminate against them? Think about that. If if Pastor Forsberg is a believer and I'm in a and I'm a believer, Christ is in him, in the form of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in me. If I discriminate against him, I'm discriminating against Christ. And so he, that's a very important truth for us to grasp. There, Christ is the head of one body. The body of Christ takes precedence over man-made barriers and divisions. There's no Greek, no Jew, uncircumcised, 
or circumcised uh, Democrat or Republican or whatever divisions you want to put up. Christ is all and in all. That does not mean we're going to think the same on every issue. You can disagree with each other and disagree strongly, and we do. But that doesn't mean we fail to love one another, amen? And I'm, of course, talking about a lot of preferences. Obviously, there's things doctrinally that we can't disagree on if the Bible makes it, but we disagree on things. Uh, that's, that's just a part of working together. But Christ is central, and we need to remove those barriers. Uh, we need to put them off, get rid of them, put off that old uh, man, put on the new. You've been given new life in Christ. That means that every day of our life, we need to make a conscious effort and a decision to get rid of the sinful practices in our lives. You cannot receive new life in Christ and then continue to live as if nothing has changed. We, we need to understand and recognize that, that our Christian life ought to be lived from the inside out. So what is your attitude to sin? Have you become accepting of it? There's certain things in your life that you just bring in and you just let them reside in your life. Paul says, mortify it, get rid of it, take it off like old stinky clothing and put on the new, get rid of it. Uh, you died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. Now Jesus or Christ tells us to get rid of some of those sinful things in our life. Off with the old and on with the new. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We need to understand and remember that every day of our life. So that's the challenge I have for this evening. I hope that uh, every one of us can, can uh, take this to heart, that we have things in our life we need to mortify, get rid of it. I think we've probably, if we, as you're listening and as I'm talking and as we're reading, we probably have certain things that come to our mind. Yeah, I need to mortify that. That's something I need to get rid of. That's something I need to... Uh, it's a sin that I need to, because we all have the socially acceptable and personally acceptable things we allow in our life. We need to mortify it. That's what Paul says. And then, of course, he gives a list. That's a good list for us to go through. And if we're guilty of any of those things, mortify them. Amen? Thank you, Father, for the time this evening. We thank you for the text. I pray you'd help us to put into practice those things that we read. Lord, help us not to be accepting of the sin in our lives. We're so quick to point at others and see the sin in their life, but I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to be just as vigilant about the sin in ours. And we'll give you the glory for what you do now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.